You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Brendan, as we record, no update on Pro Tour number three, but we do have an ELO update. Now, you went undefeated at the World Championships in 2022 uh, after declaring that you would not lose a game on stream for the rest of the year, and you, and you didn't. So, can, Well, actually, that's not true because you did play the Goliath Gauntlet and, and lose. But anyway, I digress. ELO update has happened, but no impact for Pro Tour 3 yet. What what happened to you, ELO, after going undefeated? You must have really skyrocketed. Mm, yeah, I'm actually in a different bracket now. Um, you'll probably get there eventually. You know, our ELO update's great, but when are we going to get some details on this Pro Tour? Uh, <laughs> a lot of people listening to this probably know, but Legendary Studios, in they probably weren't advised correctly, but they did tweet... <laughs> that the Pro Tour information was coming soon. So an announcement about announcement. But we have not heard anything about Pro Tour number three, which I know is a bit of a pain point for people considering that uh, we were getting close to what we would suspect the date would be. Well, ProQuest also start this weekend. So, uh, yep. But I actually, you know, Alice's have a famous for making us look silly. We always talk about, you know, no announcement or we talk about, we start speculating about stuff. We've done this before. We speculated about, uh, I believe it was Uprising and then, we released the pod and between us recording and releasing the pod, Alice has went and put out a bunch of information about Uprising and, and made us look silly. So maybe we will it into existence. I actually think by the time the pod drops, we will probably have an announcement on Pro Tour 3, confirmed date and location. Looks like it might happen this week because you know we got that tweet. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Anyway. Yeah. Hello everyone, welcome back to episode 92 of Arsenal Pass. Of course, Brendan Patrick there, Hayden Dale here. And we are back talking about ProQuest decks to play for this ProQuest season, kicks off this coming weekend as the time the pod drops. You are somewhere between 24 to 48 hours away from playing your first ProQuest, potentially, if you have ProQuest on this weekend. Maybe not to week two or week three. Uh, and last week we talked about Icelander. We went de- deep on one of the best decks in the format, talking about you know what we consider strengths and weaknesses of that hero, things to consider if you want to pick it up for ProQuest. Maybe if you're looking to, you know, how to beat it for ProQuest. We also talked a lot about that with Icelander. And this week, Brendan, you know, we're going to fight ice with some fire. We're going to talk Fi. I think, you know, Fi, Icelander, obviously two of the most recently released heroes in Flesh and Blood. Pretty, pretty dominant and pretty, you know, they've, they've really shaped the format over the last six months since Uprising's release, um, which we'll, we'll talk more about how Fi's done that, of course. But, you know, what's kind of your top level take on Fi right now? Is this one of the best decks in the format? Yes. <laughs> yeah. that, that's the highest level take of it. Um, after that, I think that it's just a pretty well-rounded aggro deck. Um, very, very consistent in terms of what it's trying to execute game to game. Uh, it also is somewhat resistant or more resistant than some other aggro decks to fatigue. Uh, and the eye strategies because it usually packs belittlementalism, which is a it's a big deal, to be honest. If you Because I think if you're looking at ProQuest, uh, ProQuest Weekend 1 or Weekend 2, you're probably expecting to see a lot of Icelander and a lot of old Tim, um, both both ice decks, right? And maybe a bit of ice Lexi. So things like Briar that can fold to to, to that kind of disruption and that kind of tax. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think Fi looks like a looks like a better pick if I was looking to pick up an aggro deck for weekend one. <clears throat> well, that is episode ninety two of Arsenal Pass. Thank you for listening. Uh, that is all our insight on Fi. Brendan's nailed it in a succinct paragraph right there. No, I mean very true. All those things are 
exactly what fire does and we're going to dive more into that talk about some of the deck lists you know there's some differences in the way people are playing fire which i think is great as well so before that brendan your week in flesh and blood i've heard a little rumor that maybe you've actually played some flesh and blood in the past week you took your hiatus post sort of i know actually you, you played some during uh november december a little bit and but took a bit of a hiatus and uh maybe you're back this week Mm, I have a little bit of a bone to pick with uh, myself, which is some. The, there's a massive spread across people in terms of how this fa- this affects them, and I'm on like the far bottom of the spectrum. And that is, if I take a break from a game, if I pick and I pick it up again, I suck ass. Like I am terrible. It's crazy. And Hayden, I think that you're on the other side of the spectrum, which is why this is so funny. Um, but I am so freaking bad. Like it takes me a good you know, five to 10 games to, I mean, I'll increase my level of play by like 300% in that first five to 10 games. I like need to get back into the groove of it and yeah, just not be overwhelmed and actually be thinking through my, thinking through like what I'm doing rather than just kind of doing it. I don't know what it is, Hayden, but every single game I've ever played, if I take a break, I'm screwed. I just, it's, I'm terrible. I don't think I've ever really taken a break from Flesh and Blood. Maybe that's my problem. <laughs> Maybe that's why I... No, I mean, I have. I, I think I get what you're saying. Like, a lot of the the natural sort of mechanical play and stuff, and especially maybe decks you're familiar with, some of those lines can... The rust accumulates, right? Although, I, I would think, mm-hmm. though, if you went and picked up Kano and Blitz, I feel like you'd be... I get what you're saying, though. The first five or six games, you might just make silly mistakes you would never make while you're you're actively playing i think is kind of what it looks like and you go like why, why, why did i just do that yeah the key the key trap is just low value plays right like you'll you'll see a shiny card in your hand like a hypothermia like an aether ice vein and you don't take yeah you don't take the higher value line which is just like actually not playing that card and maybe blocking and things like that like you'll you'll take more damage than you need to it's just a weird thing that happens and i feel like i'm um sort of affected by it much more than other people because i am legitimately terrible like it is despicable well you get super punished with a dick like icelander for doing that as well if that's what you're picking up for pro quest as well you know if you picked up maybe something like briar back post you know haven't played it since pt2 or around there you know and you picked it back up i think you can get a little bit less punished because focusing on those higher higher value cards as opposed to higher value play can actually reap a lot of rewards and maybe not put you in as awkward a position but um yeah well good to see that you're back playing some flesh and blood heard you had a bit of testing the other night you've been playing some talishar uh talishar yeah talishar's uh talishar's great of course as always but um i just have a lot of success on talishar and then i had a friend come over last night um he wasn't playing the decks i've seen on talishar against me he's mostly playing old him and uh dash into my slender deck and you know i lost a couple games versus old him which is it's a losable matchup uh for sure but I felt I felt like I was I thought I'd be more comfortable to mm-hmm. it, so I was surprised. And then the dash matchup was just like a total. It was kind of a beating to be honest. Like dash into Icelander. Hayden, you and I were talking about this before we hopped on the pond. But the reason why it's tough for Icelander is Icelander has like these these cards that are extremely good against aggro decks, right? Like Hypothermia, Blizzard, um, CLF. CLF is still good, but the Hypothermia is just you can't take like a low value play to place a hypothermia in your arsenal hoping to just totally shut down a dash's turn like it can happen but then you could what, what can also happen is you put that in your arsenal dash goes to play and they play throttle for eight off of a of a tech low pounder or they play high octane you're like wow okay i have a dead arsenal and like it's it, it's rough so the dash deck does seem pretty good into icelander which yeah. is psa <laughs> <Just> <laughs> as a play, icelander in your meta. yeah play pen thing we talked about it last week and we said it was pretty close 
we actually, I think after that, we recorded a game. We played, yeah, we played a game of Icelander and Dash. Uh, I've played a few more games. You've played a few more games. I think just addendum to that a little bit. Uh, I do want to make a quick addendum to last week's episode as well when we talked through the history of Icelander. One of the things we didn't talk about, Brendan, was actually um, top eight Singapore was, I think, Icelander's first kind of big breakout when um, Punkage took that, Ethnic Smoke took that to top eight at the Singapore calling. Anyway, just thought I'd shout that out because uh, I think Smoke's a cool guy. Makes funny videos. Have you seen the star of the show video? <laughs> I haven't. Oh, you should go check that out. Uh, yeah. yeah, you should go check that out. Um, my last week in Flesh and Blood, I have been doing a bit of testing. Me and Dan and as well as Editor Dave, we've been playing a bit of Flesh and Blood, trying to work out what to play for ProQuest this weekend. And we have Auckland Calling coming up in February, so not too far away. It's going to creep up pretty quickly. So getting in some games of testing. Got to play a game with Brendan on Friday as well. Brendan, you look confused. Uh, no, it's just like, what my ass um, in that game. But I was just wondering, what is your, what's your limited rank and what's your constructed rank? Uh, it, th- this is relevant just because yeah. I'm going to ask you, like, if you can play ProQuest, right? Because there's a, there, you can suspect or sort of um, theorize that you're locked, right, for the Pro Tour. So I want to say something first before I answer the, qu- the question about where my ranks are, because... I think that if you want to play Flesh and Blood and if you're, if you're trying to protect rating, I, I'm not sure that is the right approach because we don't even know if Elo is going to qualify yet. So if you, yes, but exactly. we should find out. We should find out before this weekend. I just, just want to point that out. Um, but it is a reasonable, you know, if you are saying, say they release it today and they say, okay, top 50, constructed and limited, and you're sitting 30th and constructed, and you know you uh, f- you could just miss ProQuest if that's what you want to do, and that is what the ELO system is meant to enable people to do, right? It's allow you to perform high, high level events and then get rewarded for that. So uh, I'm sitting after the updates. I'm sixth in limited, uh, mm-hmm. and I am a, I think I'm like bang on a hundred or like ninety something in constructed. So um, I, I, to be honest, even if I was around the cusp of, con- and they said okay, only top fifty constructed get in and nothing to do with limited because it's constructed only PT, let's say, and I was like 41st or something, and I had like a, you know, I, I would play, I think, or maybe I was 30th or something or 20th. I think I would play um, because I have the luxury of other avenues to invites, such as PTIs, but yeah, I can see if you're, if you're let's say they do top 15, you're sitting around like 20 to 30. I can see people opting to sit out ProQuest, which t- to be honest, there's, you know, th- this these events are to help people qualify for the Pro Tour, and if you're in a position where you can already get grab your invitation, you know, take the downtime, do a bit of testing, play some events if you want to. I don't know, maybe you're a level one judge, go and judge the event, help out your community, whatever it might be. Enjoy. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we can jump to some news from there. I mean, top of the list I was going to say is we, we have had this ELO update. Um, I'm pretty happy with sitting sixth in Limited now. Limited is my favorite format. I had of course it is you're ranked six <laughs> you always know drafts to be my favorite format uh i did 6-0 draft at worlds which does help uh, i also 5-1 draft at nationals i think yeah five, one, this freaking guy is just like he finishes worlds he's like you know prize is a pretty good format but i don't know what people are talking about it's like yeah dude of course <laughs> you can go back and listen to previous episodes where i've talked about how much i think uprising is better than people say but you know that's fine <laughs> i'm not gonna do the old like hey it's a skill-based format look at like it's not it's not about that but um i am tell you what, i'm looking forward to some outsiders limited uh i was on the instant speed podcast earlier today talking with flake and i said just want to draft some outsiders like that is i think this not only does this need to be a good limited set, I think, but I just so badly want it to be a great limited set from LSS. 
Yes, please introduce archetypes back to draft. That'd be oh, fantastic. please, please. Well, that sounds like from all the things they've released so far and the little bits and pieces they've dropped through with, you know, four heroes and um, the kind of the heroes that we, we may or may not get. And uh, we know we're getting assassin. It sounds like in a, we, we might be heading back towards some of the things that worked really well in Welcome to Wraith and and um, even Monarch Limited, to be honest. So, yeah. PT news, like we say, nothing at the time of recording. I think Alice is going to make us look silly, though, and there'll be something by the time this pod drops. Uh, otherwise, we've had a few things go up on the YouTube channel. Brendan actually just recorded a deck tech this morning. I think you can say who it's with now because it's going to go up probably in the next week or so. Yes, it's with Flesh and Blood Prodigy Brody Spurlock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Burst onto the scene in 2022, crushing Battle Hardens. Good performance at US Nationals. And honestly, he's super high ranked too, I think, as well. So he's just been very consistent overall. Yes. He's a local to mine. Um, so actually, I've known him uh, kind of before the last year sprint. And dude is an absolute freaking grinder. I mean, I think if you, he actually might be number one on the AXP, like beating he out is, some of the people. <laughs> yeah, beating out some of the people in um, in Hong Kong and Singapore, which is crazy. Um, yeah, dude is an absolute grinder, loves the game, and a fantastic player. Has, uh, yeah, has beat me in lot of local tournaments now unfortunately i got a i got a big dog to beat for these pro quests and these battle hardens in dallas yeah you got an emboss uh yeah so that is that is i think you can say it's a it's a briar deck tech right and that is coming out yep. uh probably by the time this pod goes up it'll be before week two of pro quest kicks off definitely uh so make sure to check that out we've also had a the, the kano guide is up there that we did uh there is also a dash deck tech that i did that's got that's up there as well and we uh, last week as well a video just Going over some of the top decks that I personally recommend, Brendan didn't have a say in this, so he might disagree with the decks that I recommend because Bravo is on the list, so Brendan might disagree. But I went through some of the decks that I recommend for this Pro Quest season, why I think people should play them, why they shouldn't, depending on their meta, things like that, and uh, your experience with them. So they're all up there with deck lists, etc. Um, and actually on Patreon this week, I'm throwing up a bit of an extra sort of piece to that where I go through a couple of those deck lists that are my own deck lists that I've been using and testing and talking through sideboard options and um, just how I would approach those decks going into Pro Quest. So can grab that uh on that as well brennan if people want to join patreon this month everyone who joins our base tier which is our four dollar tier gets access to all of our content for january so tiers you don't need to be you don't need to join our patreon at a higher tier if you join at the lowest tier you'll get all of the patreon content regardless of the tier this month only uh so a bit of a you know january say thank you to our amazing community and uh, if you've ever wondered what it is that we kind of do with these deck guides and deck techs uh they're they are available at that cheaper tier well, um, yeah, and I'll, I'll also tell you too, just in case people don't know, if we do deck decks on the Arsenal Pass YouTube channel, on the Patreon, we do an additional sideboard guide yes. as well as like tips and tricks, like heuristics and things like that. Just little bullet points, like things you need to keep in mind for each matchup. Um, so if you do like the deck decks and you want to sort of level up your game and just get the full package and maybe be able to plug and play the deck and just pick it up in a pro quest, then the Patreon uh, additional piece is going to help you. If not, the deck list is uh, public on YouTube. Just pick it up there, try it out. Um, and, and yeah, that's what that's kind of the the main poll of the Arsenal Pass Patreon. So if you're able to check it out this month while the that lower tier gets access, I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. And we we did film a gameplay, and it is going up. Actually, it'll be up by the time this this drops or around this time. We we played a game, Icelander vs Dash, a matchup I think we're going to see quite a bit during this Pro Quest season. It was, you know, a, a testing light game between myself and Brendan. A bit of banter. Um, I know people have been asking for more gameplay. We we try and record it when we can. We've had some logistical challenges, plus time zone challenges, but we finally got a gameplay going up for you. So, you know, go check it out. Give us uh, throw us your support behind it. Give us a, a like and a little comment. Let us know what you thought about the game, Brendan. Yeah. 
All right, I don't have anything else for the news this week. I think we're going to have a lot more as we get into this ProQuest season. I'm sure once we get into ProQuest season, we'll talk a little bit about what's happening with the meta and stuff as well. Uh, and Alice will have some stuff for us. But uh, anything else, Brennan? Uh, no, I was just going to say, while you're moseying around that YouTube channel, why don't you just go ahead and karate chop that freaking subscribe button while you're there. You know, we're thinking, we're, we at 5K now. Um, or are we at 4K? We're at 4.3K. 5.3K, oh, yeah. sorry. Soon to be 5K. Um, if soon, you get no, soon, to be, soon to be 5.5K. Yeah. You know, one of these days we're going to get better at the whole YouTuber content creator thing and actually telling people to subscribe and stuff. I feel like we, we're just a bunch of boomers that talk into microphones. <laughs> Hit that subscribe. I've been doing it a little bit more on the, on the gameplay, uh, the deck tech videos, but you know, it's not necessarily something that comes naturally. Anyway, I digress. Do you smell what the comment section is cooking? I don't know. I couldn't think of anything in time. Damn. That's pretty good. I, I like that. All right, come on and cook up, Brennan. We have a question this week from the Patreon Discord from Dr. Unks, Drunks himself, <laughs> who asks, for playtesting for a tournament, is it helpful to play games against yourself where you play both sides of a matchup you want to prepare for? Or would goldfishing, that's what uh, Drunks has put that in. Dr. Unks has put that in quotation marks. Goldfishing is what people will call playing against yourself, playing both sides of a matchup. Goldfishing and working on lines of play with your deck be better. This is assuming the person does not want to play online. So I think... Great question. I think this question is really poignant as we head into ProQuest season. Uh, you know, people are obviously testing, trying to get as many reps and trying to get whatever they can. And and as Dr. Dunk says, you know, maybe Talishar is not for everyone. Maybe you can't get to the local game store. Maybe you don't have someone who can test at a certain time. Maybe you have 15 minutes between work calls or lectures or whatever it is. You've got your lunch break. Is it worth playing games against yourself and goal fishing? And I'm just going to start and just say the answer is yes, Brendan. Like it's just emphatically yeah, yeah. yes. Everyone who's good at Kato in the world learn that deck doing that. No, seriously. Like, I mean, that it, it's, it's super. Well, he did say um, goldfishing or playing against yourself. So we'll answer yes. that. But yeah, speaking to goldfishing specifically, that is an incredibly useful tool. Because, um, I mean, honestly, a lot of uh, games of Flesh and Blood are just pattern recognition. Um, you being able to recognize the highest value line as consistently as possible um, and with the highest level of efficacy. Talking about playing against yourself, I've only done that a few times. I did it back in Skirmish Season 1-ish, uh, playing my Kano deck into Ira. The Ira deck was so simple at that time mm -hmm. that it was easy enough uh, for me to do. Outside of that, I don't do it just because I think it's a bit of a hassle and I don't actually think it's worth it per se. I don't know why. It, just, it doesn't click for me as much as just, just gold fishing. I think the gold fishing is absolutely enough um and for me if i'm looking to get like a bunch of low level games in just to get familiar with my deck uh, outside of gold fishing i will just boot up talishar and beat up on the uh the bots there <laughs> yeah aren't you one of those bots that gets beat up anyway uh so just to clarify because brendan said it a lot more articulately than i did but gold fishing is just you have the deck in front of you and just play out turns and you just imagine something else might be happening on the other side you don't actually play with another deck in front of you and then Playing against yourself is obviously playing both sides of the matchup. I, I do both. I uh, don't goldfish as much, but I do. So during testing for Worlds, actually, there was like specific, the Icelander versus Kano matchup. I was like, this matchup is quite in depth. There's a lot of stuff happening. I actually sat down. I probably spent like six or seven hours doing this, playing both sides of the matchup, like playing both decks in front of me. And the way I did this, I find quite easy is I have Tabletop Simulator. I just open that up my computer in front of me and then I have my deck in front of me and I just, you know, I've got my mouse here and I can just play both sides of the matchup. One's digital, one's my physical deck. And I found that quite quite easy to do. And I 
learned a lot doing that uh, about that matchup. I feel like I literally learned the insides and outs of both sides of the matchup from doing that because I would sit there with a play and I'd go, okay, this is the natural line I would take. And then I would flick my eyes up, look at the, the Icelander hand and go, this is what Icelander would do in this situation. Wow, this is actually really bad for me as Kano. Like I need to, you like Brendan said, patent recognition as well starts to come into it of, you know, I think I should be doing this in this matchup or I shouldn't be doing this. And if you're playing both sides, Flesh and Blood is a game where you get so rewarded if you can play both sides of the table. If you can play your own game plan and understand what your opponent's trying to do. And I think actually one of the ways that you can do that and speed up the learning process of that is actually to, to play both sides of the matchup. Um, which you can do with with this kind of tactic like Doc Dunks is talking about. So I know this is something that Tarek Patel did a ton of before US Nationals. And as he started to get into the game, and he is also, I think, a big advocate of, his, of this. Um, and it's a bit easier than some other TCGs to do this because the turns are structured. So it's not like you're there's not as much responding to things. There's a bit more phase play. Um, and you're playing off four-card hands, obviously. So yeah, I'm, I'm a bit... Basically, my answer is definitely 100% yes, but getting into it a bit more logistically there's some ways you can do this decks that have really specific game plans like you're a combo s deck or you're a super aggressive deck i think goldfishing to brendan's point where you just play with nothing in front of you but the deck and just go through turns and look at five card hands and how you can put it together is also really really beneficial yeah just a funny anecdote to on the, on the end of this is that uh, sasha markovic who was in our testing group oh, he is the very extreme example of this like so obviously he's kind of I guess at this point known for building combo decks, he won't play games. He won't play actual games. Like even if he's weeks into the is his testing hole of trying to figure this deck out, and we're like, hey, we should probably test the deck to make sure you're not wasting your time. He's like, no, absolutely not. He will just goldfish by himself for weeks on end, and then come to us with in either either garbage fire or uh, a product that we can work with. But it, it's so funny because I've never, I don't think I ever will meet somebody ever again that that behaves like that because it's so bizarre. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. <laughs> felt, felt table actually just while we're putting out ways that you could, if you are looking to oh, so good. take it's Dr. So Unser's uh, lead here, you can use felt table as well to do this exact same thing. Um, you can also just play into like bots on felt table, which means you can just like, it's not perfect, right? The gameplay is not going to be great, but what, what, it's pretty reasonable though. But what you can do is you can just just get a million reps and basically gold. It's like goldfishing plus plus, mm -hmm. I think. And then you have the next step up, which is playing both sides of the matchup, which, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of. Um, it's a bit faster than trying to go to an armory, play Ultim to learn how the Ultim works. Why don't you just sit there and play both sides of the matchup if you're trying to learn and understand how something might work. But yeah, great question. I thought I wanted to grab that question because I thought it was a fantastic question for where we are right now, heading into ProQuest Season 3, kicking off this weekend and uh, people looking at maybe honing some of their testing techniques, especially if maybe they don't have a wider group to test with or people that they can regularly test with. Maybe they've got sort of pockets of time. This is how you can use it. Uh, I know editor Dave, he often sits at his desk while like doing something and just goldfishes hands. Uh, he was doing Kano the other day and he messaged me about a few things. So that's mm. how it works. It's quite the rabbit hole, that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into the main topic of the pod. And we are talking about decks to play for ProQuest season. We are over this three-week period. Last week, we covered Icelander. Today, we're covering Fi, covering some of the top decks for ProQuest season. Uh, next week, Brennan, we don't know what deck we're going to touch on. We've been debating about what we think. We think Icelander and Fi are two of the decks we wanted to cover because we think Icelander, obviously coming off the back of the World Championships and just the sort of journey that deck has had and how it looks positioned for ProQuest Season 3 and the depth that we can talk about it is really interesting. Fi, I think 
we're going to get into it, but I think is one of the best pick up and play decks. It's one of the best proactive linear decks that you can decide to play for ProQuest, and we wanted to cover that. The third deck, not sure, so stay tuned. We will mm. we will have something else that we're going to dive into next week. But wanted to um, kick it off, Brendan. Thought I'd share some some history, delve back in time, and talk a little bit about where Fi has has come from. Uh, you know, post Uprising release, we saw Fi and basically pretty close to immediately dominate. It was the end of that first season where it released. These are the stubby hammerers. You remember these fondly, Brennan? Stubby hammerers, mask, uh, mask of the pouncing links. These like ba- they're basically combo decks. Like some of the you could deal forty plus damage on a turn easy with the stubby hammerers as well. Uh, ended up Sebastian Grondor and Sanderberg winning the uh, Euro Players Championships and the Calling Utrecht, which those happened the same weekend. Uh, on this an iteration of these five stubby hammerers pouncing links decks. And then basically immediately Stubby Hammer is getting banned. Uh, if people recall, Stubby Hammer is actually banned in Blitz prior to Uprising's release. Alice just got ahead of that and said, we're banning we're banning Stubby Hammers before we even get into the season because they obviously knew how powerful that was going to be. Um, so yeah, Fire wins both of these events, swiftly gets hit with a ban hammer in terms of Stubby Hammers getting banned. Uh, we see basically that's the end of the road to national season as well. And then Fire, we enter towards Lille. And Fi is sort of contender. It seems a contender. It starts to rise up. I think in the you remember this, Brendan. In the weeks leading up to Lille, Fi started to gain more and more traction as the aggro deck, you know, plays well into uh, Alton. That was the discussion. Does Fi beat Alton? Does Alton beat Fi? And people were landing it on. Still is a freaking discussion. It's crazy, yeah. <laughs> but people were landing on Fi as opposed to maybe decks like uh, like Briar or Viserai. In the end, Fi ends up being the fourth most played deck in Lille behind both Briar and Viserai and Prism as well. Uh, but still sees pretty good representation at that at that event. Doesn't do as well. The decks, the aggro decks that end up doing well are Briar and, well, we see Viscerai in top eight as well with, with Pablo Pintor, but also Dash sort of takes its place a little bit. Dash winning the calling in Singapore the week before. And then we head to the national season, basically, which is where Fire starts to gain back some traction. Interestingly, Prism hits Living Legend and then Fire starts to gain back some traction. I think with the rise of Icelander, you'd say, you know, Fire was seen as a way that could combat Icelander by going wide. You have the little package, you have access to yeah. these resources, you can deal with the taxation a little bit more. And we see Fire go into national season and, and do, do pretty well. It puts itself ahead of Briar and both Viserai as the aggro deck of the format through that national season. We show up to Worlds. Fi is one of I, I couldn't find the data on the sprint and I could not find the meta breakdown. But Fi was you might remember you're in the booth. But Fi was one of the most represented constructed decks. Was it the most played in the end? Um, yes, I think yes, yes, it was. <laughs> Put you on the spot. It, so yeah, I remember. Well, I remember a few things specifically. I remember the top three decks um, were pretty much what we expected, and they were extremely close. Um, but I do believe Fi was the most played deck. Um, Old him was up there. And then I can't remember if it's Icelander or not. But yeah, and then there was a bit of a drop-off for deck four. There is a, a little bit of a, an addition to the to the fire history on that. Yeah, Fi actually was funny is after Stubby Hammers were, were, was banned, people were looking kind of how to still compete with Fi because mm-hmm. uh, it was a significant piece. Um, and yeah, it struggled into Icelander. And the belittle package wasn't wasn't always just in the deck. And I feel like at this point, it kind of is, right? Everybody just runs this, this uh, three... Um, or f- sorry, five belittle, and then the blue middleism to target, and that's for resource fixing, um, and that gave the deck huge edge against Icelander. Didn't necessarily make the matchup favorable uh, quite yet, uh, although that is up for debate at this point. But now it's pretty much stock standard in the five decks, mm-hmm. and that was an evolution of the deck after Subby Hammers was banned. 
And then I just want to say something about Stubby Hammers. Rest in peace, never come back. That, sh- that stuff was broken. And I remember going through the mental anguish of trying to deal with that deck and its existence and what it was doing and the numbers that it was representing. And I was, I just couldn't, I just couldn't wrap my head around it. I was in like an existential just dread because it was freaking busted and everybody was like, mm, you just play around it. And I'm like, what? I was like, what? <laughs> it was Kano, but you just start with everything on the board. It's nuts. So good. Stubby Hammers is one of those equipment that I'm a little bit mournful that we'll never see it in well at the moment in any constructed event ever again um between blitz and class constructed it's like that hard and cross trap i have have nostalgic memories for these equipment now because of you know what how you could build around them uh, i remember playing stubby hammers for the first time actually with you brendan when we were first working on a chain deck like as soon as monarch released i remember like we had nine bounding demigon uh we had stubby hammers in the deck like it was this sort of like how do we be as aggressive as possible sort of janking through some half cut screenshots people put up for uh mods for <laughs> tabletop simulator oh my god yeah it was a good time uh so that is the history yeah i mean in post world championships so in the end two fire decks make the top eight of the world championships with um rob catton and daniel rakowski and post this the deck has stayed pretty consistently through this uh, battle hardened and pti season through december as as one of the the top decks and comes into this battle hardened season as in a, in a pretty pretty good position so we will talk more about that i wanted to start you know brendan like why play fi like you 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 said so eloquently some of these things at the top of the show so why don't you take us into why why play fi yeah strong linear game plan uh which is a prerequisite to be considered a top tier aggro deck so it, it does meet that um and if, if that's what you're looking for fi is a great option um to do that, you're going to be pretty much doing the same thing every game. Your opponent will likely have to react to you. And there's not a lot of nuance in terms of your like macro game plan. The micro, definitely very technical. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the macro, it's pretty straightforward unless you get into some oddball games, people are trying to fatigue you, et cetera, et cetera. It's quite consistent. You know, uh, the Fi deck, the Fi deck does have some cards that it really wants to draw, but it doesn't feel quite on the level of Briar where you're just like, Draw Channel Maharok, draw Channel Maharok, draw Channel Maharok. So it feels a bit more consistent than that. Um, and, you know, because it's res- more resistant to the ice decks, which is also another perk, by the way, in this in this ProQuest season, um, due to the belittle package and just the amount of blues that it runs, um, it does feel a bit better than some other aggro options, yeah. right? It feels like it's pretty dynamic into these ice decks. And it, it can you can play the game, right? If you play some of these other aggro decks, you you will sometimes literally not be able to play the game against ice. I think that Phi is just so powerful in terms of its equipment as well. Like Mask of the Pouncing Lynx is, is amazingly good. Um, I think that Searing Emberblade <laughs> coupled with uh, Phi's hero ability, mm-hmm. uh, just super powerful generating value tur- turn over turn. And I, that's a big draw to Phi for me is if you just look at the hero ability as sort of plus one per turn. Yeah. Um, plus it's... In addition to that, it's also turning on your other cards, right? It's turning on your Masculine Momentum. It's turning on your Salt of Wound. So it's better than Ira's ability in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's somewhat on par slash maybe a little bit better because it's turning on these other cards and unleashing your deck. So those are the reasons for me, just the few ones that come to mind of like why I would play Fi. I think that it's it's up there to be the number one aggro deck. And if if you're looking to play that archetype, Fi should definitely be on your list of consideration. Consistency is like one to go back to because you talked about it as consistency versus briar and it's like so briar's briar's turns with three 
to four cards often will deal more damage than fire. But Briar suffers from, you know, drawing all non-attack actions, having three attacks with none of them have go again. Fire doesn't have this problem. You know, it can chop and change the way it plays out. Its cards have natural go again. It's the consistency to play your turns out in the manner you want to is you, you get that a lot more. And that also makes it a bit more straightforward to play. But, you know, that's diving into beyond that, you go into there is a lot more to the micro play, like you were saying, Brendan. Like the matchup against Icelander, I think, is actually quite technical. There's some really interesting stuff in that matchup about how you utilize your arsenal. You know, often sitting a little in arsenal waiting for the turn where they they flip the the channel egg frigid or you f- have the setup card and you're trying to read what the iceland is doing and s- wait for that art of war until the perfect opportune time to push the damage and get that masking uh, mask the pouncing links off so it's you know there's more than just the consistency i think other things as well is that just just on pouncing links and this combo potential that the deck has it's an aggro deck that combines an outburst of combo-esque sort of damage you know you can present pretty easily somewhere in the 8 to 16 damage a turn off your 2 to two to 3 to 5 card hands and then all of a sudden you can push a 25 plus damage turn and that I think is something that is so powerful when you talk about playing a linear deck that can do two different things uh, and Pouncing Links honestly that, that card is just so good you basically start with the equipment on the table that deals 5 damage like it's it's really good yeah definitely like um, from the other side of the board too and like some of the like, a big, a big uh, motif, I guess, in the ProQuest season is the ice decks, right? They are seen as some of the more powerful decks. Um, like when you're playing an ice deck into Fi, it really feels like you only need to miss one turn cycle. Yeah. Like just, just slip up once. It's just on. It feels like it's on a knife's edge. As soon as you mess up, that Fi hits you for like twenty damage because they have a somewhat replacement level. Uh, their cards are a bit replacement level, right? Like they. They can pretty much do the same thing, right? Other than things like Art of War. But yeah, if you're playing the Ice deck, you're like, you're constantly trying to not lose, like the entire game. Um, and yeah, I think the Fi is just super, super powerful in terms of how how easily it can explode with things like Mask of the Pouncing Links. Yep. The other piece is that, uh, you know, actually, let me ask you a question before we even dive into some of these other strengths Mask of the Pouncing Links versus Mask of Momentum. <laughs> do, yeah. do you think that you should just be playing Mask of the Pouncing Links? basically against anything that's not dry my um <clears throat> no i i do think that mask of uh momentum does have some uh, some utility right like there there i think i was going to say this uh earlier sort of uh in the section but a lot of the fidex or at least this is how they were pre-worlds is there was a bit of a a, a dichotomy uh, between mm-hmm. the mask of the pouncing links and the mask of the purists there is a bit of a you know like a small thought group around what weapon you play. You play the Kadachis or you play the Searing Ember Blade. Pretty much most people play Searing Ember Blade at this point. But yeah, I mean, people usually feel very, very passionately about their Mask of the Pouncing Links joints or their Mask of Momentum, both offering just wildly different situations, right? Mask of the Pouncing Links being more raw damage. And obviously you can build your deck to have more attacks on the combo chains, things like Double Strike. And then Mask of Momentum, uh, threatening those on two triggers, drawing cards out of your opponent, forcing them to act. It's not just raw damage. Um, I don't remember the exact matchups because I, w- I remember I was talking to Peter. Um, I'm just going to say Peter B because his last name is a little bit hard to say, but out of Vegas. Uh, when he won the Dallas Battle Hardened Calling with his quote-unquote combo fight, it was like the new combo fight at the time, um, and he was very much Mask of the Pouncing Links into everything, and he did play Mask of the Pouncing Links one. But I don't know, Hayden, because I don't know the deck mm. well enough, but I would say that you have situations for both, and I would default to Mask of the Pouncing Links as uh, 
as sort of my go-to equipment where I would need a reason to play momentum over that. Yeah, what we saw during the last two seasons, so since Uprising's released, is people build in different ways to support either, you know, this pure, and I think the most pure version you could say is a bit more like what Peter was doing and people lean towards that for Worlds, which was for the most part, although actually Rob didn't in top eight, but people lean towards these pouncing links, just explosive decks. And I, I think that is a really good place to start. You know, people have listened to Arsenal Pass before and have listened to watch some of our videos on deck decks and stuff before decks we've come up with. We are really big on keep it simple. The core of the deck should do the one thing it can do the best and you should build around that. So Masterly Pouncing Links to me is, is that, right? The guarantee that every game your deck does the thing. It, it, it is a good aggro deck and then presents this big burst of damage. So I really feel like I would need an excuse to play Mask Momentum and I don't want to dilute my deck too much to support that and i think some of the lists that we see out there and we'll, we'll talk about deck list specifically can kind of get caught between that you know a card that i think gets played a lot and probably majority of lists but i don't particularly like myself is flame call awakening mm. for that very reason you know it's like okay flame call awakening allows you to you know go and push big a big links turn or allows you this but you draw a flame of phoenix flame and all of a sudden that that advantage you've gained has been wiped out so there's things like that, but yeah, my kind of go-to is p pouncing links. My testing so far, playing a bit of Fi, and it's like pouncing links. I, I need an excuse to not play that card, hundred percent. And for me, it's basically only draw my personally. Mm. Yeah, draw my. I, I I would wonder if that there would be considerations in like an aggro mirror where you really wanted to take your opponent off the five-card hand, um, like a briar or something like that. But I assume that you might lose equity just because Runeblade has such efficient armor and you're just like, ugh, you know, your Mask of the Pouncing Links break, you're, sorry, your Mask of the Momentum break point is like just getting blocked by armor and the game's like lasting three turns so the armor's just like super effective. I think that was that was the thought. So there was a, I think, I want to say Sanderberg, I think he played Mask of Momentum or maybe the, his finalist opponent played Mask of Momentum at that uh, calling. And I think the thought process was, well, people were playing Blossom of Spring at that time. You know, they were, they were actually skimping mm -hmm. on equipment. They were playing, uh, that was Stubby Hammer's meter as well. So they actually couldn't defend that well. So that was kind of the thought process. Whereas I agree with you, a lot of aggro decks now have friggin' fridges. So it kind of diminishes. That's, I mean, that's the other reason. Katsu has continually struggled as we've gone through Flesh and Blood and the, the cycle of the game because more and more equipment have come out to just provide people with fridges, which is just so good against one of the best things that Ninja does, which is Mask of Momentum. Yeah, tough spot. Um, anyway, digress. Talk a little bit more about some of the strengths. Uh, I think one of the great things about fire is you can play two and three card hands just as well as you can play four and five card hands. You know, the common play line of play my zero cost with go again, my cinder, um, Brahma cinder claw, pitch my blue, play my weapon, pay one and get back the Phoenix Flame. The classic limited line, as you'd know, Brennan, play that a lot on limited. Present, you know, seven damage off these these two cards. That's uh, very common. Plus, you can scale that up really easily with fire sca fire scales into three, four, five card hands really well, uh, which is a big advantage. I, I think it's the just the perfect go wide deck and the deck for Art of War. I think if you're like, I want to play one of the most powerful cards in the game in Art of War, what deck do I want to play it in? It's I think it's got to be fire right now. Um, so it's it's a good. I put here it is a, you know a bit of the the bread for the meat that is Art of War if you want to play that card and, and get the most out of it. Definitely. I think that my last point would be if if you hate wizards, uh, Fi is probably a pretty good pick for you. I mean, just Fi's access to blues is just sort of unparalleled in the other aggro decks that put out as much damage and go as wide as Fi does. Because usually um, part of those decks 
deck building limitations is they have to cut down on blues. They need to have more red cards. They need more power cards. And just like this little package that fits so well into Fi, um, it just kind of cheats on that. And I think that, that it, it feels really good when you're playing Fi against some of those uh, some of those ice decks versus if you were on like a Briar or something. Yep. I also think <clears throat> if you're looking for ProQuest and you're looking for a deck that's going to serve you on ProQuest, I think at the level of ProQuest, Fi is just going to get you a lot of incremental advantage from your opponent's not being able to read the combat chain and it's not easy against fire and what i mean by that is that when you come in with a four or five cut hand and you play your first attack on the combat chain it has natural go again it can't be affected by hypothermia can't you know there's ways your opponent's trying to understand okay are they pouncing links in this turn are they just pushing big damage you know what are they going to play next could they play uh an, an, a flame engulfing flame wave for instance next or might it be another zero cost it's really hard for the opponent to understand what the combat chain might look like and especially against players that are a bit less experienced potentially what you might find at a progress level so i do think fi gains a lot of advantage at a at a grassroots level as well i think um, in terms of what it offers you if i was a relatively new player or even somewhat intermediate player which i probably am at this point going into the ProQuest season i would definitely pick fi for week one but instead he's picking iceland <laughs> no i agree i agree if i was i think top of or second on my list of of decks i suggested for proquest in, in the video we put up this week so uh what about matchups let's talk about matchups what are the matchups you're looking to play into what are your favorable matchups well i mean brendan i don't think you can go past dromai i think dromai has a little, lives in a little bit of fear having a nightmares about about fight and uh from my experience as well uh, as a Reinar player brutes have a tough time into ninjas in general and fire specifically definitely yeah <clears throat> I think you're going to be well-rounded against a diverse field as well, which is it tends to be what week one can look like. Um, that being said, <clears throat> I think that we should talk about the Icelander matchup, which we already kind of did, to be honest, since Icelander was our other uh, marquee deck to talk about. Um, I th the matchup, in my opinion, <clears throat> is Icelander favored, but slightly, and it does exist on that knife's edge. It's very delicate, and the Icelander can lose uh, pretty much at any mistake, right? Just takes about one and you're, there's no chance you're beating a lot of fives. Um, but there is a lot of people that think it's five favorite. And I could see that as well. Five having, five having access to all, you know, so many blues having access to these blittles, just very resistant uh, to some of the disruption um, that Icelander looks to bring to the table. So, you know, the other top deck that we picked for, for this, um, for this series, you're pretty much 50, 50, if not uh, you know, slightly unfavored or slightly favored against it. And I think that's a great spot to be in. I think it's a pretty classic 50-50, as 50-50 as, as Flesh and Blood gets, because there's always going to be someone maybe ever so slightly favored, be it because of the decklist they bought, the player they are, and their skill and knowledge, or, you know, just the point that there is still variance in Flesh and Blood. So I do think that, you know, the game does, it, it's really close to being a 50-50, and, and there's there's so many factors that can swap it, you know, sort of maybe that 5 or 10%, but it is a very close matchup. And it's a quite a technical matchup as well, actually, which I really enjoy. I don't personally enjoy playing Fi that much, especially not probably a lot of the lists that we're seeing out there at the moment. But I do enjoy playing Fi when I'm playing into Icelander. I have been playing the gauntlet side of that matchup for friends wanting to play Icelander this season. And I was really enjoying the kind of technicality of how to use the arsenal. And there's, you know, there is play lines where it's like, okay, I know how many belittles I have in my deck. The game actually goes a little bit longer than you think. And it's about how do I craft a Mask of the Lynx turn, Mask of the Pouncing Lynx turn? How, how do I best do this? How do I set that up? Um, which is really interesting, especially in more sort of base level decks that are really focused around the zero and one costs um, like we see majority of five decks doing and would be 
what I recommend picking up as well. Um, other matchups into aggro decks. You're, you're pretty solid into the majority of aggro decks. Now, I'm not saying you're necessarily favored into all the aggro decks, but I do think you are somewhere again around that 50-50 kind of mark. And uh, Fire can just do Fire things with Mask of the Pouncing Links. And yeah, you know, a matchup like whether it be Viscerai, Briar, Dash, those matchups are all pretty close. And I think you can take Fire in and feel, you know, pretty good going into those matchups. I don't think it's... I know a lot of people say... You know, it's, it's favored into Briar. Some people say it's 50-50. Some people say it's unfavored into Viscerai. It's favored into Viscerai. It, it does sit somewhere around that 60-40 mark, I think, somewhere around that 50-50, 60-40, which I think is, that's a good deck to have, I think, hitting into a really wide meter, like you're saying. Yeah, definitely a great deck for a, a balanced and reliable pick for the for the first weekend. Unless, and let's talk about some of Fire's weaknesses, what a hostile meta might look like, and... This is interesting. So I don't know how many meters will look like this, but if you're expecting a lot of Lexi, Azalea, Bravo, and Dorinthia, maybe not the deck you want to pick up in the form of Fi. Uh, those decks tend to be quite difficult matchups because of the on-hit effects, because of the ability to also present damage and progress the game, uh, like all of those decks can do, and uh, you know the ability, the fact that Fi doesn't defend that well, it takes advantage of that. Yeah, I think Bravo on that list is probably the weakest. Uh, if Bravo is like very, very tech for Phi, then yeah, it's it's going to be a, it's definitely Bravo favored. Um, I I would be surprised if Bravos could afford that many slots uh, because a lot of those cards just are very narrow in the decks that they target, and they mostly just target Phi because they don't affect Briar the same way. Um, but yeah, these a meta that exists of mostly Rangers and Dorinthia is very unlikely to happen. Um, so. At least for the first weekend of ProQuest, if you if you do decide to bring Fi, um, I expect that you'll walk into a, a favorable metagame scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, favorable or at least you know not a bad metagame to walk into. Yeah. You know, and I think that Lexi is a a pretty reasonable pick for this first weekend of ProQuest. Is it could be a good meta pick in a lot of people's local metagames and stuff. But actually, you're one of the aggregates that plays better into Lexi. And I'm not saying you know you're necessarily favored. I haven't played that matchup enough to probably understand but you do you do have a lot more game than some of the aggro decks who just can't get through a lot of the resource turns or the resource hampering turns that lexi can have um which is is important i think just in terms of like other weaknesses like if you are trying to attack fire like if you are getting ready for proquest this weekend or next weekend whatever it might be and you're thinking about okay you know i've talked about i've sorted my other matchups fire is still something that's on my radar how do i get a few extra percentage points how do i understand how to be better into fire I think you look at the weaknesses that Fi has, and may, if you can make the Fi defend, then you can get on the front foot. Like getting Fi on the back foot is one of the best positions you can put Fi into as the opponent because you you force him to start to have to defend with cards that defend underrate. There's a lot of two blocks in that deck, and uh, you know if you can get them away, take them off a pouncing links turn, or they finally draw into Art of War and they have to defend on that turn, you can really push your advantage, and that's that is what you need to do if you want to beat Fi. <laughs> yeah and on the ice deck side it's just disruption at the right time um which is tough i mean it feels like for icelander by far the most important thing in that matchup is to draw clf uh, at an appropriate time and likely draw multiple throughout the game yep yep don't disagree uh does anything else just just yeah just onto the fix if you're thinking okay what's my way maybe i'm playing a rune blade is there I'm not sure how good these are, but Consuming Volition was always a card that came to mind. I haven't revisited it recently, how good that is into Fi. Uh, but, you know, on-hit effects, 
they, they can have a lot of value into into fire particularly so i do think it's worth looking at that's why i do think i know you talked about bravo before i think there's also different ways to build bravo um there's cards that people aren't playing cards like debilitate right now that i think are reasonable to fire uh, of course you talked about you were referring to choke slam i guess as well uh which is you mm-hmm. know one there as well as crush the week choke slam crush the week like if a bravo's packing uh six six <laughs> three choke slam three cho- uh, crush the week red then Spinal you crush. can yeah yeah i mean then yeah you could say that they came to that tournament with, with your name on their list if you're playing yeah. fly yeah which i think people probably will this coming weekend me and me and Brennan, I think we differ on this, but I think Bravo is slowly sliding into one of the top three decks in this format for me, which is, I mean, not personally, I, I'm not a big fan of playing Bravo, but I do, I can't deny that I think Bravo is pretty well positioned for, for ProQuest, it seems. So, I don't know, let's look back in 3x time, Brennan, and see, see what the meta shakes out like and what the winning decks shake out like. But yeah, I, Bravo feels like a great deck to lock a top eight away with. I just don't know if it's the right deck to win Prokis with, but maybe that's just a maybe that's a fallacy. I'm not. I'm not sure. Well, I'm excited to play against it. <laughs> um, okay, let's let's move on. Uh, one thing I did want to talk about in terms of weakness of fire, or maybe a reason you don't want to play fire, is what I call the aggro mirror problem. I know me and you have. I was going to say talk about it. We've whinged about it quite a bit, especially around the Leal meta. Uh, yeah. Aggro mirrors. Some people enjoy them, and. Is what there's, and some aggro mirrors are also quite technical and quite interesting. I remember the chain mirror back in the day, quite an interesting mirror match because of the carrying husk dance. And uh, there has been other uh, the, the lightning briar mirror, I enjoyed that because there was a lot of around how you okay. swing tempo, how you use your plunder runs, how you set up your embodiments of earth, etc. I think current aggro mirrors don't feel anywhere near as technical as that from my perspective. That's my, my personal opinion. Agree or disagree? I know, Brennan, you agree. And I think Fi, if you're going to play Fi, it is one of the aggro decks in this current format where I think there is less play in the aggro mirrors than some of the other aggro decks. So that is that is a problem I see and something that makes it maybe a little bit less enjoyable, but you know, that might not be a consideration for you. Yeah. It's a uh, I was trying to be delicate. The reason I, yeah, I mean it's the it's the reason that I I'm I'm not even considering that deck at all. It's literally just because of that, which is not the it's not the great it's not the best stance in terms of like, if you just want to win, you know, Fi is the best deck, even by a few percent, you should probably take it. But I would not even consider playing that deck after my experience at Pro Tour level. Like it was freaking miserable. And uh, yeah, I'm done with those days. Yeah. Someone's going to clip that. So just be clear, Brennan didn't say Fi is the best deck. He said, if you feel it is the best deck, or it looks the best deck for your meta. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's talk a little bit about what Fi could or should look like in this meta uh, because there is differing styles going around. So if you're looking on YouTube or actually just in the description of the podcast, you can see we've posted two deck lists here that we're going to kind of look at a little bit. One of them, they're both from top eight at Worlds. One of them is uh, Rob Catton's deck and the other is Daniel Rakowski's and they are they do differ. So Daniel's deck, Revolt, it's a, it's a bit more typical of what you would have seen of Fi decks throughout the last two seasons it is really focused with you know it's got three out of war it's got multiple salt the wounds it's got a lot of red line attacks that cost zero and one um plus a, a good number of blues available to it on the flip side you look at rob's deck and he's got a lot of things that a bit, feel a bit more tech cards he's got three ancestral empowerment uh for mask i assume for mask momentum matchups he's got engulfing flame wave in his deck uh he's got you know access to i think defense reactions which and take the tempo which weren't in Daniel's list so I think those are all 
quite interesting. And it makes the list differ quite a lot. Like the play patterns when you have a card like Engulfing Flame Wave, that card costs two. That's very different to, you know, playing out your zero cost, then your one cost, plus your weapon, and then going and getting your Phoenix Flame for free. Now all of a sudden you have a two cost. You now have to pitch two cards if you want to Flame Wave and Weapon. So the, the deck looks a bit, a bit different, uh, potentially. Yeah, I think that the differences between these decks are pretty fascinating. You're like Catan's uh, three ancestral empowerment is like the kind of the biggest thing that stands out. I know Daniel has a like a cheeky one of Razor or <laughs> yeah. something like that, but you know Catan really kind of leaning into that. What I can assume is the uh, masculine momentum mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah. uh, sort of synergy there. Also, you know Catan assault the wound, uh, <clears throat> although he does have two double strike. It's just. And we have like a quite a difference in terms of like tech cards as well, uh, with you know, number of rounds on me, number of that all you got. <clears throat> I mean, it just sync shows blows, you that there's a yeah, yeah, the sync blows definitely. It just shows you there's a, there's kind of a lot of ways to build this when you're looking for your last like five or six cards, and uh, I think you will be able to sort of express your I don't know your individuality as a player through deck building with Phi, even though it seems to be a very streamlined. Uh, linear aggro deck right yep. um, there are a lot of options for those those last few slots and that's what we see in the difference between um, daniel's deck and rob's deck the, the, the biggest one for me and i alluded to this earlier in the show is that rob did not play flame call awakening which is and only played one phoenix flame so rather than treating you know it like a deck where you play the three phoenix flame, you play flame call awakening to go and find those to give you these these power advantages the way rob looked at this was phoenix flame is the worst card in my deck if i draw it, it sucks mm-hmm. card is terrible so let's do away with the card that maybe benefits from having those to just not have those cards in the deck and just use the hero ability like Brendan was saying at the top of the show, just plus one each turn. That's how, and plus one chain link. So, you know, no salt wound for that very reason. The deck might have a little bit of a lower ceiling, but the consistency and the draws uh, seem to be more in, in Rob's favor. And I think that's basically what he's going for as opposed to something like Daniel's List. And that could be playstyle dependent as well. I think you could look at that as a playstyle thing. Obviously, uh, you know, it looks like Rob's backing into opportunities to play Mask Momentum a lot more. But also, it could be medical dependent. You know, what are you expecting to face? And I, I, I want to be careful because I haven't played anywhere near as much fire as either of these players have played. And I haven't played both of their decks through the gauntlet to understand where exactly all the weaknesses and, and benefits are to potentially playing the different lists. But what I will say outside of playstyle and... Uh, what you prefer is that inconsistency versus power is i think if you are looking for a deck that goes into a unknown meta but of a wider meta i would probably favor a style like daniel's that can get the most out of pouncing links it has a bit of a higher ceiling and does the thing asks the question which we always say you know it's the most proactive linear style of this whereas i think rob's is a bit more understanding of the meta having a bit more play dependent is kind of how i see it so Although I, I really like Rob's list. I, I, I like not having Flame Call Awakening because I really don't like that card. I like the consistency element of it a bit more. Yeah. I do have a question for you. Why, what matchup is Daniel playing Crown of Providence? That is a great question. Is there a Crown of Providence in his list? <laughs> yeah, there is a Crown of Providence in the list. No, there's not. Three. Oh, the one I'm looking at is Daniel Rakowski World Championship. I guess I'm looking on February. It's a. Uh, I'm looking at from the tournament. So it could be incorrect, but I, there was a crown of providence. Uh, okay. I'm looking on the fab which notoriously always correct. Obviously uh, I'm not sure if he played crown of providence. I, I couldn't tell you why. I don't know what, what matchup that would, that would be for. Um, so let's just, I would, I would say it's more likely uh, potentially an issue then anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, 
I think two two different ways you can set up, and there's also other ways outside of that. And I want to talk about some of the maybe the cards you could look at, and you know options for maybe evolving some of these lists. So engulfing flame wave, really interesting card. That on hit effect for mirrors for aggro matchups is a really interesting consideration. Also, another you talked about the dash versus Icelander matchup, and you know I know you want to talk more about Icelander if you could. But one of the things you said was you know the opponent starts the turn with a red throttle. Engulfing Flame Wave does a pretty good impersonation. You know, like your opponent, so if you start the turn with that red Engulfing Flame Wave, all of a sudden your opponent has to go, okay, well, you know, I've got my Channel Lake Frigid here. I'm ready to flip it over and tax them. But then I still have to deal with this five damage coming at me before even the taxation starts to hit my opponent. And now you've got yeah. that to think about. So I do think going taller is, is a good way to play into Icelander. And not only does this go tall, but it has a great on-hit effect and also can still enable really strong go-wide turns. So I think that's why you look at a card like Engulfing Flame Wave. A card that I've started to see come into lists is Soaring Strike. You can't go wrong with Leg Tap. Leg Tap, the Draconic, that's going to help you go wide, plus also have a bit more damage on it, as opposed to being... So especially these decks that are a little bit less focused on Pouncing Link's maximum ceiling and are a bit more comfortable with playing three card hands. I think Soaring Strike is a fantastic card. Let's use this example. You have a blue, a Soaring Strike, and a zero cost in your hand. You pitch that blue, you play that uh, Soaring Strike, you come in with your weapon, you play your zero cost, and you get your Phoenix Flame back for free. All of a sudden, you're looking at 11 damage off your three cards there. That is that is a good rate of return for consistent turn-to-turn play. So I do like cards like Soaring Strike, um, a card that, interestingly, I saw Daniel Rakowski playing in the Fad Team Cup. He was playing Exu Confidence. He finally got his revenge on Michael Hamilton. They played an Icelander versus Fire matchup, and Daniel had cards like Soaring Strike, Exu Confidence in his deck, and uh, Exu Confidence did a, a, quite a bit of work, actually, in, in that matchup, which was, was interesting. Well, one card from Dynasty. What, the Blazon... Blazon Yuri, yeah. Yeah, sure. has that been making into lists? Surely, right? As I, I don't know. I, I feel like I haven't seen it, but I would have thought... So I think the reason it probably hasn't been is because it actually isn't very good against Dash. Now, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, great card against Dash. It's only relevant against Dash on a maximum velocity turn because in general, they're not going past chain link three. And if they are, they're probably going to do it wisely by making the later chain links the lower power cards. So that's when you come in with the T-bone. The yellow that's when you come in with uh, all this and then you can just you know you don't have to or you come with your pistol on those chain links or you break the chain yeah. actually i just think it'd be great in the mirror really because it it just hits so many things i, I mean if your lava burst is turned on this is hitting it yeah so right. lava burst is the main one but also you can you can break the chain like i think blazing yuri while it looks really strong you can just break the chain so you could say let's say you go okay um you go your zero cost for three or you the, the line i just talked about you go you're one for four, then you're zero for three, and then your weapon, and then you get back the flame, Phoenix flame. Your opponent's not going to block that, right? And then say you have another zero for three or one for four in your hand. Break the chain and then play it because you no longer need the chain links to matter. So, I yeah, Blazing Yuri, I think, is an interesting card. We haven't seen it as much. If you know that you're playing a bunch of mirrors, I guess the question is, like, is it better than Flamescale Furnace? I'm, I'm not sure. Mm, I would I would think so in the mirror, but I could be wrong. Yeah, well, we'll see. Um, but yeah, those are the cards I would look at. I, I really think that there's this kind of waypoint between what Rob was doing and what Daniel was doing as well, just to kind of go back to that with Deckless. Again, not, not a fire expert myself, but the way I've looked at this, I'm really interested about some of the cards like Soaring Strike Red. I think in the middle we're in now, trading damage is really good. And especially if decks, other fire decks are going to go towards cards like Engulfing Flame Wave, etc., 
that's more interesting to me. And then making my blues probably block for three is the other kind of transition I like as well. Uh, you know, I know I looked at Pablo's list is a list that I've been playing and testing quite a bit. He played a lot less block three blues and that's some of the changes I've sort of felt is you lose a little bit on the consistency side because you lose some of the draconic chain starters, but you get to have these cards that defend for three and you can deal with cards like Engulfing Flame Wave. You can be a bit better into decks like Bravo, etc. So all meta dependent, I think is the, 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 the be all end all of that good takeaways hopefully some good takeaways why don't we or well, actually you put a no here Brennan. you said is pouncing tiger fire a thing huh. uh the answer is no but <laughs> it's it's a good question to ask you know with the addition of dynasty and like pretty much every ninja card in dynasty being geared towards a pouncing tiger um archetype uh, i don't think it'll make it in i don't think so either but it could be a thing it could be a thing uh tips for playing fire want to round out the kind of end of the podcast talk about some things that you know, maybe we've learned playing some Fi and testing over the year that has been over 2022 or just some things that we've noticed and I think are worth passing on. The first thing is, you know, keep yeah, it's fundamental understandings of what two and three card hands look like as well. So I just talked about that. Two card hand would look like a zero cost uh, red attack that has go again, natural go again, a chain starter your, and your, your blue pitch so that you can make that seven damage attack. And then three card hands will look like that 11 damage that we just talked about, um, which I think is, you know, is really important. That's why I like Soaring Strike again. I think it's a card that can come into it as you play more three card hands. And then four and five card hands, those are when you're really starting to threaten your masks. Those are your little turns potentially. Those are your Art of War turns. Uh, Flame, Call Awakening, if you're playing that card, those are those turns as well. I do want to say, if you are looking at a card like Soaring Strike and you're looking at maybe going to a more consistent build, uh, Flame, Call Awakening would be the card that I'd probably replace Soaring Strike for. Take out for Soaring Strike, rather. Um, you're an aggro deck with a combo punch and I think it's really important that you play in that manner and you understand when you're playing fire at your pro quest or whatever it is that your first goal is to be proactive to force your opponent to the back foot so that they can't get on the front foot and attack you and force you to defend and you want to look at how you're going to craft this links turn it should always be in your mind what does my best links turn potentially look like into this matchup now some matchups are going to look really different Icelander they're going to be able to tax you you might just as long as you can get four damage out of your links you might be really happy in an aggro matchup with a lot less defending and a lot less on hit effects and impacts is four damage enough out of your pouncing links probably not you probably want to be looking five six upwards so I think Remember, you're an aggro deck that has this combo punch, and that combo punch and its its impact on the game is going to depend on the matchup that you're playing into. Definitely, uh, it's a pretty uh, it's pretty simple, but I think that playing your uh, your artivores uh, effectively and not getting blown out uh, during those, especially if you're against a reactive deck, you know, something like an ice deck, mm -hmm. is critical, right? If you get if you get hosed on a on a on an art of war turn that you potentially taken a lot of damage for, or just been trying to set up for, and maybe played like an inefficient line the, the turn before to get the art of war in arsenal. If you get channel like frigid or something on like that, when you could have avoided it, sometimes you can't. Those are, I think that those are the kind of the key, some of the key moments of the game um, where you're going to win or lose, especially against a deck like uh, like Icelander or even Olden. Yep. If you play are playing as Icelander, I think just start with your attack. Always start with the attack force them to have damage in front of them before they make the decision about what they want to do. Um, that's why I don't love Rise from the Ashes in the matchup as much because you have to start with a, a non-attack action first and your opponent gets to make some decisions. They have some more information. And then just beyond that as well, belittle turns. The last sort of, sort of tip I wanted to give is if you're playing belittle and out of war turns, play your belittle first. Like if you've, if you've got the tunic, sorry, this is this what I want to say. If you're on this tunic belittle out of war turn, 
play the bit off the tunic go and get the blue minimalism and then pitch the minimalism to pay for the art of war is, is generally the way you should play it get the most damage out of it and you can do that during the reaction step play the art of war so uh, most people know that but if you if you don't uh the last thing i want to say is just don't over sideboard especially if mm. your deck is a pouncing link stack and you you do have this you want to reach your ceilings if you start to over sideboard by defense reactions i think they're the worst things the fire can play to be honest i really really dislike the defense reactions now i understand playing some sink below into the bravo matchup uh you know you you're going to be put on the back foot at some point that is bravo's game plan it's not like you're always going to be able to stay on the front foot so i understand sink below that all you got i get why people play it because in theory you just get to break a chain link or save some damage and cycle it but that card can be super punishing if you take tempo and then draw it on the next turn and beyond that any other defense reactions i think are also just kind of out of the question for me you you shouldn't be diluting your deck that much. You, As soon as you draw two defense reactions in a hand, you could just be in a world of hurt. They could be replacing a blue. They could be replacing a draconic chain starter. You're just reducing the consistency that your deck has by, by adding these cards in. So be really careful when it comes to sideboarding. Same thing with just adding cards that, you know, like Command and Conquers or Race Faces, etc. Again, those aren't cards that go to your natural competency of playing these three to four or five card hands uh, generally. They're more for disruptive elements. So just be careful when sideboarding with those. Well, I think to sort of sum it all up and uh, you know tie it off with a bow here or whatever, <laughs> if you're, you're coming into weekend one and you want a deck that's easier to pick up, doesn't mean it's easy to play. You know, the ceiling on it will still be high, but easy enough to play to cheeks and wins, right? And is relatively stable into an unknown meta. I think that Fi is a great pick. It it doesn't really have any abysmal matchups, and the ones that might fall into that category likely won't be showing up if bravo is extremely popular then yeah maybe Fi is not the pick um but that's that's also something that we can reevaluate after we get the date on proquest season one mm-hmm. one thing to keep in mind for proquest season is that usually if uh if it's going to be the same as in the past we will get data week to week and that is the best leading indicator you should use to sort of predict the meta um and likely pick your deck if you are uh looking at multiple decks to potentially sure. play I'd say use your local meta as well. You know, you say you've got a, a ProQuest every week for the three weekends. Go to ProQuest 1 and don't focus on the games that you played. Focus on what's actually at the event and what is rising to the top tables. I think that is the best way to look at the meta in association with the data that Alice has put out. Because your your look at the end of the day, the data that Alice has put out are great, but that's not the data for your local meta. And that could be different. You know, you often see these smaller kind of climates within, you know, these microclimates within different regions for, for the game. As Brennan loves to tell us, whether it be prism or <laughs> freaking prism infestation down here dude hey you look at the pro tours prism showed up <laughs> anyway uh yeah that is fine i agree with all the things brendan said Fi is one of the best decks in this format i just think there's no bones about it like it just is one of the best decks in this format it is up there with icelander uh and maybe even bravo at this point as well so I know you're gonna scoff, but just wait and see. Oh man. my god! Did you did you say up there with Bravo? Like wow. Bravo is just clearly up there, and it's like, yeah, maybe five. Yeah. Other way around, maybe Bravo is up there with five. I'm we'll, a Bravo we'll hater. Are you? Is it because you've anyway? Oh. No, I, I I picked it up for that battle hardening, and I did. I felt like I did pretty well. I played my first match with an IP penalty. I got combo by a Icelander, and then I lost the other match to Brody, mm-hmm. who was on prior. My winning in for top eight, yeah. and all the other matches. I was absolutely eating fives for breakfast. Um, so it felt great. It was just 
if I was going to go into a Guardian mashup against like an Oldham or just like any other normal deck, I was like, I would just rather be playing Oldham, I think. And even the Fi mashup, I feel like you don't lose much equity and card selection when you sw- when you swap over to Oldham, who has access to Slag Knight and Oldham's ability, Crown mm-hmm. of Seeds, stuff like that. So that's really my thesis on it, but I could be wrong. Bravo does feel very good to play, so I would not be surprised if it does have any any legs in this meta that people pick it up because it's fun you know it can it it can make the opponent miserable and it's relatively straightforward so yeah i mean it's not a terrible deck but i'll hate on it play a little game maybe stack our reputations on it you know for fun things like that proquest season one kicks off in the next day or two when this pod drops give me fast forward three weeks all the data comes out what is first of all give me the deck that wins the most proquest and then give me the top four decks played over the season. Yeah. Uh, deck that wins the most ProQuest is Fi. Um, the top four played across all of them is tough because I feel like the top three is easier to pick. Um, uh, but we'll just go with what we kind of know. I'd, I'd say Icelander will be in the top played. <laughs> um, Oldham will be up there. Fi will be up there. And then I need the last order. slot. I need them in order. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. So I would go number one, Fi. Yeah. Uh, number one is Fi, most played. Uh, number two, it's probably another aggro deck. That's the thing. Dash my. I'm just gonna. Way. Yeah, yeah. Those are. So I'll just go old. Okay, Bye, Oldham, Icelander, uh, Briar. But I very much think it could also be you know Fi Briar, Oldham, Icelander. Like Icelanders, who knows? But yeah. So Fi, Oldham, Icelander, Briar for me. Okay, I think for me, deck that's gonna win the most pro quests is gonna be. You know, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say Icelander wins the most progress this season. There's no way, dude. Man, People are... That deck does not convert. That's Prism 2.0, dude. It gets wrecked on well, the ProQuest season. Prism won the most ProQuest in ProQuest season 2. I'll just remind you. Okay, I'm talking Road to National season <laughs> back when Chain, Chain was around. ProQuest season 1 as well. Uh, I'm going to go top foremost play decks. I'm going to say in this order it's going to be Fi Dash Icelander Bravo in that order. I'm going to say that. Okay, okay. I think Briar's not. Yeah, I mean, maybe Bravo's up there. Yeah. We'll see. I think even Ultimate might be more play than Briar, but we'll see. Anyway, that's going to do our little predictions. You can fast forward if you, you know, or rewind, whatever it is. I'm lost. Three weeks' time, we'll see who's right. (laughs) That is episode 92 of Arsenal Fast. That is our second of two of the three sort of premier decks for ProQuest season that we're covering in depth. Uh, you can go check out Icelander episode last week. You can go check out the video where I talk through seven decks in total, actually. Uh, a bit of a, a little short video there. Twitter, we're both there. Brendan is at BrendanAPG. I'm at Fian underscore Dale. Come and check us out. Get involved in Fab Twitter. We have a bunch of videos that have already gone up and are going up on the Arsenal Pass YouTube channel. Go and throw us your support there. As Brendan says, karate chop the subscribe button. I don't know about that, but uh, you can click it. You can click the like button. Drop us a comment. Let us know what you like about the videos we're putting out. And uh, check out the gameplay that's going up very, very soon. Big thank you to all of the Arsenal Pass patrons. Uh, Remember, you can get access to all of our content this month for just being at the $4 tier. And with that, Brendan, I'm out of breath. And we will see you next week. See y'all.